the the most like I remember when I first qualified as a scuba diver. There's a question in the test. It says, "How do you when you see a shark in the water? How do you interpret a shark?" And he gives you multiple choice. I don't know what the other options were. I just remember the right answer, and the right answer was unpredictable. Human beings are, are the same as sharks. They are completely unpredictable. You never know how they're going to respond and in what way. Because their businesses are changing all the time, their customers are changing all the time, and when you compound those things formulaically, you're an idiot if you ever say that you know who your customer is. That's when you know someone's going to come and eat your lunch. So it's probably a shark. <laughs> Hi there, guys. Today I am actually being interviewed by Keith Smith. He is the host of a podcast in the US called the Fuel Podcast. It's quite a big deal over in the US, so do check it out. You can check it out at thefuelpodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. So uh, Keith is actually not American. He is from the UK, but he has spent the last 13 years in Minneapolis. He's got a very successful business, and he reached out to me uh, via the network somehow, came out of the woodwork, <laughs> and uh, he invited me onto his podcast to talk about all things uh, business, entrepreneurship, lead generation, a scale, um, data science, predictive analytics, all sorts of cool things. So uh, please do enjoy uh, this different version of the Map Round show uh, hosted by Keith Smith. So he uh, gracefully uh, asked, well, didn't ask, I asked him whether we could share the interview uh, with you all because I think there's a lot of value here. Um, and this might be a change of flavor that you'll enjoy. So uh, check out the Fuel Podcast, guys. Very, very cool. Uh, wherever you get your favorite podcast. And so without further ado, let's get on with the Fuel Podcast interview featuring myself, Keith Smith. And let's get on with it. Hope you enjoy. Now, one of the aspects of sales that gets us English folks feeling like our suits are two sizes too big is the subject of lead generation. It's the, it's the bedrock of any new business campaign. And yet we still seem to have trouble confronting it, like when someone cuts in line at the concert. Lead generation deserves its own kind of strata of podcasts because it's one of those subjects that everyone thinks they know how to do it, but very few actually can. Now, my guest this week does what we do in the UK, except he does it in South Africa, and his company, Digital Kung Fu, puts a really different spin on the function – attracting clients such as Liquid Telecom, Microfocus, First Distribution, Microsoft, SAP, and IBM. But now he's chasing the UK market, and I wanted to catch up with him to find out more. He's got his own successful video channel, and he's someone I was told to check out when we first launched our podcast, because his podcast has been the number one Apple show in management and marketing on 13 different occasions. And he's currently syndicated on Amazon Prime in the UK and the USA, and on Roku Smart TV Network. So if you haven't already figured it out, let's meet the eponymous star of the Matt Brown Show. Matt Brown, welcome, Matt. Thanks for uh, the invite, Keith. Great to be here. Well, thank you very much for, uh, for, for coming on. And uh, unlike most other, uh, most other ones that we've done, um, we actually have never met before or even spoken before. So this is a, this is a completely fresh, uh, fresh conversation, right? We're pioneering here, innovating. <laughs> and, uh, and it's your evening now, so I appreciate, uh, I appreciate you putting some time aside. And uh, you've got, you got family and stuff, I understand. Is that right? Yeah, you've done your research then, hey? <laughs> <laughs> 
So, um, so we're going to find out if uh, if we've got any chemistry. Which uh, I would think for two salespeople or two business, two people in the business of sales, we should be okay, right? So, uh, <laughs> so if uh, just to to kick things off, imagine we've just met at a party. What kind of party would that be? A circus, <laughs> definitely a circus. <laughs> circus right okay now in in south africa you're just about coming into your summer aren't you so um what's what's going on with the pandemic there what's the situation there right now um what's going on with the pandemic uh geez i think it's become a social problem as opposed to a government problem now and uh, you know lots of masks half or faces and um things like that it always baffles my mind you know how people tend to treat these new social requirements so it's kind of you know if you go shopping you have to have your mask on otherwise they kind of won't let you in but basically wherever there's lots of people it's kind of like a free-for-all so everyone's entitled to do what they want which is fascinating for me <laughs> to watch and, uh, i mean are they locking is it uh, have you got a lockdown situation there we had one. It was pretty hectic. We were lucky though right. because we um, we had the privilege of watching the rest of the world get hit first. Uh huh. Um, and from our side, we had the privilege of time. So we took best of you know best practice at the time, if you could even call something best practice in a pandemic. But um, yeah, we we were we had a hard lockdown for about a month where literally there wasn't even a car on the road. Um, wow. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think compared to many of the other governments, even the US included, uh, you know, our government did really well. So our president, Cyril uh, Ramaphosa, went, uh, did a lot of good things. Um, and now we are in a situation where we have this kind of risk adjusted strategy. So as you know, you have level five, four, three, two, one, and I think we're on a one okay. or a two or something like that. Yeah. So it's, um, it's not over. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it is what it is. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, presumably that's, I mean, you've got the same pro- problem that, that we have uh, both in the UK and the U S with, um, you know, everybody basically working from home. Do you still, you still have that? Um, yeah, I think it's the new normal now. Um, All right. I think, uh, like one of the things uh, I read about this morning was about Dropbox and how they're kind of spearheading this new paradigm of, you know, what does it mean to be an employee now and how do you, you know, manage a remote workforce, build culture, uh, all that kind of stuff. Um, like I actually gave notice on my office last week because there was okay. a skeleton crew in there. Um, and then suddenly now this week it's it's full. So it's kind of like... You know, now I'm going to have to keep the office. So I don't understand it. But I think we're trying to figure out what the new operational layer of the land should be. So as a case in point, one of the things that, you know, we're going to do as a company is make it a collaboration space as opposed to an office. So what we won't do is, you know, make it elective um, to work from home all the time. But where you need to collaborate, so like we've got major infrastructure problems here in Africa. So like power goes off and you're not told about it. So if you're working at home, especially in the township, so I'm, I'm here in the green leafy suburbs of Santon in Johannesburg. So, you know, we get um, more dedicated power because a lot of the kind of, you know, politicians and so forth live here. So uh, we get special treatment, but out there in the, in the kind of, you know, lesser privileged areas, it's not the same. Also a lot of infrastructure gets stolen. So copper wires get pulled out of the ground you know, uh, electrical cables oh, get man. stolen. So it's not just a privileged thing, although it's certainly a prevalent. Um, it's an infrastructure problem. So if you're a CEO of a company, I mean, I've got 40-odd staff now, and uh, they can't work, you know, 
if they don't have an office, what are they supposed to do? Um, and in Africa, we've got very unique problems, you know. So unlike, um, you know, in the UK, it's kind of like, well, I'll just get on the tube in London. Like I spent a lot of time in <laughs> London. But um, well, I'll, get the, I'll get the privilege of using, you know, a developed economy's infrastructure. You know, if your power goes out and you need to travel, it's like it's not that simple for a lot of people. They use, right. Sometimes they kept, they kept, my team are kept catching like two or three taxis just to get to the office, and then you've got to go back the other way. So, and a lot of them are single Man. moms. So it's, you know, you've got to be, you have to be very empathetic as a leader, of, you know, running a business in Africa because the challenges are very unique. <laughs> well, I tell you what, it's, that's a, that's a uh, very interesting because the the, the word that you, you hit there is uh, empathy. Because uh, I think a lot of people are, are discovering kind of what that meant, what that now means in a work environment. You know, in terms of being able to to adapt to you know to other people's um, sort of uh, needs and wants. So, uh, well, fair play to you as far as far as that's concerned. And uh, obviously, yeah, like everyone else, I kind of wish you luck. Now, I, I, I was doing some, uh, like you say, some um, some some homework work on it and i was listening to your uh, your shows um which are especially the, the podcast which um I, I absolutely love i think it's really good um something certainly for uh, for, for someone the likes of me to shoot for but um I love the fact that you you kind of really do go big in terms of your guests and stuff. And uh, I, I mean, you've got some amazing kind of a um, um, B list celebrity sort of speakers there. I mean, what, what? Just give me a clue here. What's your secret? I mean, do do you ever use your kind of sales skills to get them to get them to come on the show? I mean, what's what's the what's the uh, what's the secret sauce there? Uh, it had literally nothing to do with us, and everything to do with the guests because you know everybody likes to talk about themselves i mean if you <laughs> you just need to in- extend the olive branch say come on uh, come tell your story on my show you know and have a bit of a, a credibility uh, or proof point around your your platform um and yeah i mean i think people want to connect with people it's less about you know selling the show or having a special system or secret source to get these guests um, it's literally about asking. It's crazy. Like people seem to think that you know, especially when you fi- when you start out, that you know everybody has this imposter syndrome. So you don't feel that the Fuel podcast hosted by Keith Smith is good enough for a Leif Babin, you know? Um, and it's that's a load of BS. It's absolute <laughs> BS. It's only your story. So. Uh, so like, I mean, we don't get a million downloads an episode. We're not Tim Ferriss, right. you know, we're not Joe Rogan, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, but it doesn't matter. People want to spread a message. They, they're looking for ways to get their message out. So by you saying, Hey, I would like to offer you my time to tell your story, um, on my platform for these reasons or whatever the case is. Um, nine times out of ten, they'll accept. I mean, I'm. I, the other day, I was on a show, like I was very busy, so I have the shows usually at this time of the day. So right. I like and like I haven't even looked at my diary. It just pops up and says, "Listen, you've got a podcast," and I like I'm like you know I got to get onto the show. So I log on and I'm like I really don't want to do this right now. I like I've got kids. It's crazy uh, between work and uh, personal life. So. Uh, I, I, the guy comes on and I'm like, hi, Jeffrey, how's it going? He goes, yeah, I know. Good, good. I'm good in you. I'm excited to talk to you. I'm like, yep, yep, cool, sir. And Mav, my producer, sends me the link uh-huh. to the 
to the to the book. So I click on the link and I open up the book and it's crossing the chasm. It's like one of the best business books in the world <laughs> that's been translated into like twelve different languages. <laughs> and I'm like, holy shit, this is like one of the first business books I ever read. I love this guy. Then he was like, <laughs> like he this guy's consulted to like Bill Gates. You know, um, Mark oh Benio from Salesforce, Satya Nadella, and here I am, and it's like this guy. Like, I'm, all of a sudden, now I must talk to Jeffrey Moore for for an hour. So, um, you know, that's how it goes. And so, um, I think how know, did it go? Yeah, it went great. I mean, geez, I love that guy. And it, and also the other thing to say, you know, anything that crosses business, technology, and entrepreneurship is kind of where the epicenter for my passion sort of you know right. lives and breathes. So. You know, and he's just and literally he's like part of the business fabric of Silicon Valley. So it's like holy holy cow. So uh but I mean like we're just a podcast down in Africa, you know. Well, I suppose all over the world, but you know, we're from we're Africans, you know, and so who who cares about us really? We're always like the last afterthought, you know what I mean? In many in many wow. circumstances. So I got to say, it's um, well, it's a it's a pretty kind of slick setup that you've got. I mean, you know, sort of looking at. I mean, how would you describe it? Because obviously, you've you've got like the the podcast, you've got a video sort of video streaming uh, sort of function to it. I mean, is it just kind of what is it a broadcasting service? Well, the the idea is that you you must behave like a media company now. So it, right. we, I mean, to be honest with you, we were. We started off with just the audio version of a podcast some almost six years ago. And looking back, if I had the choice now to give myself one piece of advice about podcasting, I would have gone live a long time ago. So broadcasting oh, really? and, and activating the social graph. Yeah. I mean, it's not for everybody. It's pretty nerve wracking um, because you don't get do overs and it's literally all over the internet. Things do turn. You certainly off. scared the crap out of me when you, <laughs> <laughs> when you offered. I was like, "Let's go live, Keith." No, <laughs> <laughs> but um, but the idea being, it's just reach. You know, it just like, and also, by the way, and as you'll know, producing a show is hard work, man. So you got to have people mm-hmm. to do it for you because otherwise, you just you just burn out of steam. Um, so yeah. to go live, it's like it's live. I don't need to edit. I don't need to post produce. I mean, we had like. For, for like over a year, maybe 18 months, we had three cameras in the room, post-production, graphics packages, all this stuff. And so wow. we were looking for a perfect product when actually it just needed to progress. And when C19 hit, we were forced to go live because it was like, well, what do you do? You can't put cameras in a room. You couldn't travel. So we had to literally broadcast it. So we did a, a bit of pain and redesign of the of like the, the video formats and et cetera. And this is kind of what we what we're doing now. So um, looking back again, it's been beneficial because now we don't need a studio. Everything's very efficient. So it's been born out of necessity really more than anything. So that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, uh, just out of interest, I mean, who, who do you, I mean, who, who do you kind of look up to in the world of podcasting and, and sort of video broadcasting? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there, I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, 
books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up, it's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. I think I admire Joe Rogan for what he's achieved. Um, I'm very isolated in my own exposure to other podcasts. Mm-hmm. I, I, like I've tried, you know, um, what's that show? Seek, uh, the scale one with uh, Reed Hoff. What's his name? Reed Hastings, the guy founder of LinkedIn. Tried that stuff. Um, I've, like I listen to a lot of shows, but it's just there's so much content now. Literally, like there's so many brilliant podcasts out there. Yes. Um, yeah. It's so hard to, and I'm off social media. Like I don't post any of my own stuff. I have a team that runs it. I never right. go on Facebook. I don't even log on to that uh, platform. I hate Facebook, <laughs> even though we broadcast there. Um, but, you know, so my expert, like the number, we did research into podcasting and the number one source of news or awareness, how do you drive like awareness for the fuel podcast, social media? So for obvious reasons, because people Fine. get their yeah. news there. So it's like, oh, I listened to this great show called, you know, the fuel podcast. Um and so we, I don't see any of that. So I'm quite, I'm quite, I'm not exposed to the great work of many, many great people. So it's hard for me to say, oh, this is the one, you know. But Joe Rogan, right. of course, everybody talks about it. Obviously, yeah. his deal with Spotify is a big, big deal for all podcasters. So yeah, good, excellent. Well, okay. So on to uh, the the, uh, the main the main meat of the subject. We were going to talk about your company, Digital Kung Fu. I mean, how did how did you kind of start in the uh, in the world of business? What what was your kind of career arc? I uh, founded my first business when I was 21, um, was a record label, actually did a funny left. I just got lucky, I struck it, you know, the stars aligned and uh, it was a success and I sold that and then um, thought I knew everything there was to know about business as a 26-year-old and then <clears throat> hadn't failed and then luckily my next venture fixed all of that for me um, <laughs> and yeah, like I, I, you know, founded now, I didn't even know, it's like a dozen different companies sold three you know i think i've got one two three i've got four brands in market at the moment wow uh, yeah so it just gets bigger so now i don't even care about failure it's just like a okay, cat died so what you know try another one um but um but yeah i think my career arc was basically just keep kept founding companies um and struck it lucky many times failed many times I've been in big ad networks, so you know, in between my kind of you know failures, when I wanted to re- regroup and get some certainty back, and you know, some runway back, you know, I went to go join you know, management consultancy at Accenture. So it's always been technology and business, and you know, this kind of stuff, big stuff. Um, but right. but always, you know, founding companies, founding companies, and we'll always find companies. Do you, do you consider yourself to be like an early adopter of stuff of technology? Um, well, I mean, you always like the first in the queue at the iPhone store and things things like that. No, definitely not. That's for millennials. (laughs) (laughs) You and I don't care about that, dude. We'll wait, we'll wait for that order online story. I'm still running an old Samsung, so I'm great. Well, there you go, right? But in break, don't fix it. So, uh, what, what, um, what is the main objective of, of digital Kung Fu? How, what, what, what did you have in mind when you set it up? Um, scale 
I'm just curious about how to build things that matter to a customer. So when I founded it, I mean, we pivot, we started funnily enough as a podcast, well, as a, it was called Map Brown Media at the time, and I actually retired Digital Kung Fu. So we've pivoted five times in the last five years. So we've, wow. we've, we've kept chasing where the opportunity was. So where either where we couldn't grow the business fast enough, we moved. If the, if it wasn't possible to scale it, we, we moved. If it was too uh, um, competitive, we figured it out. It's like, no, no, no. And we moved. Um, and so digital Kung Fu was brought back by funnily enough, my first hire. So I always say on the show, like a business doesn't start when you found the company, it starts when you hire someone. Um, and his name is Mav and he's my producer, the guy I've been exchanging emails with. So he's been with me from the very beginning. And so he was like, look, I'd really love the name digital Kung Fu. Can we bring it back? And I was like, no, I've just retired it. He's like, come on, it's a really great name. Please, can we, please, please, can we do it? I'm like, okay, dude, whatever, let's get it on. So we did it and we pivoted from a podcast uh, media company, which was Map Round Media to Digital Kung Fu. And then we just did content for uh, social media content for, for companies and brands. And then after about six months to a year, we looked at our client base and 90% of our client base was technology companies. And then I read a book that literally changed um, the whole business. It's called Play Bigger by Christopher Lockhead. It's a great podcast, been on his show, he's been on mine. Um, and uh, that book literally was amazing. He wrote another book called Niche Down. And so the whole pre- premise was, well, choose, choose a customer. If you want, if you want to scale, and the same thing, by the way, what Jeffrey also speaks about and preaches about in his book, Crossing the Chasm, it's like choose a customer, own a niche. You cannot be everything to everyone, otherwise you'll be invisible. And that's where we, that's where we were. No business scales, not a single one. All the big companies chose a customer first, um, and that's how they, you know, they crossed the chasm. It's called the bowling alley. So how do you get the kind of early majority to adopt this product? that you have and then that's when it's called that's when you're in the tornado where it's just like you, you're scaling you're just going up and that's kind of where we were um, and so to cross the chasm we had to choose by the way a use case one use case not tech not content that's too generic we had to we i looked at us like well, what do technology companies want and then i was like well what about leads so i said to the company i walked into the office one day and i said right we're now in the lead generation business and we changed the entire uh, market facing uh, story we produced, I think, between two and 300 uh, different digital content pieces, and we just went for it. We went for every single big technology company we went for, um, and we were successful, thankfully. Um, and, but the reality is, is that while it's great to chase a gap in the market, and even if there is a market in the gap, you have to be passionate about that. And so for me, I, I'm passionate about solving problems. But at the end of the day, it's like sometimes you wind up in a business that you don't necessarily love. So it's, it's commercially viable, but it's not something that you go, hmm, I really want to do leads today. Um, and, um, and so unfortunately, I'm in the situation now, I spoke to you before we went live, was that you know, we're pivoting again because we can't scale fast enough. We literally cannot grow fast enough. Uh, because the market's too small. We have, we're entrenched with all the big distributors, all the, like Microsoft, SAP, Oracle, and it's not enough cash. It's not enough cash across the Middle East and Africa. So we have to look at the UK or we, or, and or other countries, or we have to fundamentally change the business into a platform technology business. And that's what we're doing now. So it's about saying, okay, you know, leads, lead generation got us here. We want Africa's best tech startup. We want, you know, we did really, really well out of it. 
but now you're still stuck with a services business. So if you really want to put a dent in the universe and if you really want to make a difference to the people that work on your team, you have to be thinking bigger than just services. And people say, you know, it's okay not to have a big business. And I say, okay, cool. If that's for you, then you must be happy with that. But for me, it's not enough. It's really not enough. Um, so for us, it's like services can go. It will be a value-added services story as opposed to you are a front and center services business. But the lead, the hero will be product and platform and technology. So we are looking at solving bigger problems for the same customers where we can own the category um, and build a business that really will make a difference to the people right, that work on, on my team. So where where does the I mean you does this mean that lead generation is is part of what you do now as as opposed to the main focus of it? Yeah, it'd be a value added service. It's like content basically. So I mean we we're picking different customers with different problems. Like we've you know um, we've got two marketplaces. One's for software SaaS companies that we're launching, and another one's for uh, hardware. So we're taking on bigger problems. Like the problems are much much bigger because the thing is. Most companies only have a certain budget size for uh, demand generation or lead, gen- lead generation. So, right. And also in a recession, what's the first budget pull to go? Was well, marketing. Yeah. So if you can't, if you're looking to scale globally and it's like, okay, well, and, you're, and you're literally not in control of your commercial destiny, how the hell do you do that? And that's the reality. Services business where you're relying on this idea, this historic like legacy idea of agency client where the client tells the agency what they want. Here's the budget and here's what, here's the returns that we want. Um, and, but listen, you must give me a hundred times back what I give you. It's like, okay, well, what if I want a hundred times the budget from you? No, I can't do that. Okay. Well then how are you expecting to get us a hundred? I mean, it's retarded, right? So, so, so we're not in control of our commercial destiny. We cannot write our own check. We cannot, in other words, I don't want like a 5,000 man business. Services businesses are people and resource intensive. If you want to scale a business, then you have to be doing product. You must do platform because you build it. And if you can figure out what the gap is and you can commercialize that gap, you have a license to print money. And so for me, I know the type of entrepreneur that I am. I will always build and sell companies. I get bored. I'm not the guy who's going to like build a company that's like Uber, you know, and it'll be around for 50 years or Microsoft. I have no interest in that. I want to build and sell, build and sell. So services valuations are terrible. You get, if you're doing a million dollars a year and depending on your profit, of course, there's other factors in it. Um, but certainly you're going to get like 0.8 or one, maybe three if you're very lucky and you're Africa's best tech startup. And the market doesn't suck, right? Like you're not in a pandemic. <laughs> so so you're lucky if you get four of your, of your EBITDA, right? So, but SaaS, it's like, well, okay, 10, 15 multiples of revenue. I mean, some of the revenue numbers now are ridiculous. SaaS companies listing on IPOs, like it's 27, 36, 38, 42. It's crazy. Um, so because it because it touches so many different departments within a business because it affects the whole thing rather than just one part of it is that what you're yeah well it's attractive to investors because if you've got a million dollars to invest what would you invest in a services business that can't really scale or would you invest in a SaaS company that's on a on a massive growth trajectory right so 
you of course want the passive income as well. It's just a simpler business to run. It's a more efficient business to run. It's a more profitable business to run. And so if you're a founder and you're looking to raise capital even, you've got a far more likely uh, probability of success from angels or the three Fs, friends, families, and fools if it's a SaaS company, (laughs) right? Listen, you give me a million dollars, I'm going to give you 10 times that that uh, that revenue back or that investment back services businesses will never get you there ever and so what what is the um the 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 vc and funding market like in 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 south africa at the moment i mean is it is it because it i mean in the uk and the us certainly it's 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 very cash rich i mean there's a lot of people looking to to salt money away in in places that that are offering better terms than uh the most banks i mean are you are you finding that there or is that is that partly why you're you're kind of looking to target the uk um, well, there's v, there is a venture capital network here, and I know most of them. Um, but the reality is that um, the VCs here don't really venture. You don't right. really have a massive, uh, you know, funding pool to work with. You you don't. It would be nice if that was the case, uh, but unfortunately, it's not the case. If you want to raise money uh, properly, you go in America as an example. It's just much bigger. I mean, there's so much capital there. I think in the one one uh, guy, one VC made the point to me. He reckons VCs in Silicon Valley have been knocked down the totem pole um, f- because of just a cr- there's just so many different ways now to fund uh, businesses or your business specifically. Um, but locally in South Africa, there's maybe two VC firms with any kind of real equity behind them. Um, right. and, um, but here in startup land in Africa, you don't have a 350 million rand, con- uh, sorry, a 350 million strong consumer market, right? So if you're Airbnb, you <clears> can <throat> scale quickly in South Africa or in Africa, it's the, it's, it's like in America, it's B to C, right? Cool. You can scale. Congratulations. Right. Here you have to go B to B to C. If you want consumers, you have to go to a ba- a business to get access to their customer base in order to scale. Otherwise, it's too expensive in terms of runway to fund your your growth. So like Snapscan is a mobile payments uh, company, that, a startup that came about and it uses a QR code to process payments. It's great. I'd like It's much better than bank cards, cash, or any other taps, you know, tap to pay, whatever. Um, and so for them, once they had MVP, they started getting customers. What did they do? They, go, they went to a bank. They went to Standard Bank and they got... 10 million customers literally overnight. So what's the better play? You sell out, you make your money, and you're good. So that sort of should have been a unicorn. That should have been a massive, massive mobile payments company right across Africa, potentially even the world, and it died. So startups go to corporates to die. Um, and that's what right. happens here. Like it's, and so this, where does the VC money play a role in that? So it's almost like a, you know, it's, a, it's like a, a, a not even a glass ceiling. It's just a ceiling that you you you, you find uh, very difficult to get through. So uh, so understandable. But um, I mean, I um, I I was attracted to uh, to your, uh, your your the uh, the articles that uh, that I read about you, um, sort of in the business press, where you were talking about. I think one of your your mantras at the at the time was the fact that sales and marketing teams don't sort of talk to each other very well um and uh obviously us we're a we're the podcast about the the world of new business i mean why i was i was interested in that as a proposition i mean why do you think that that uh that what's wrong with sales and marketing teams why don't they talk to each other well sales and marketing teams are amazing when they do 
what they need to do properly. Uh, the problem is, is that marketing has started to eat into the role of the salesperson. So what's happening is, is that the salespersons are expecting marketing to hand over highly qualified, pre-qualified buyers of their solutions. They don't want to waste time with leads that are not qualified, not vetted properly, or do, or do, not, do not meet certain criteria. So certain needs for the solution don't exist. They're not the right decision maker. They don't have the right budget. The timing for the procurement is too late or it's too early. Um, and so usually that role would be handled by a salesperson who would just literally pick up the phone all day and do sales pre-qualification and figure out, okay, how do I move this lead or this prospect down the pipeline or the funnel into a conversion, right, to a deal? So now with things like marketing automation as an example uh, and behavioral intelligence and intent data, and so there's just been an explosion of technology within the sort of lead generation, sort of pipeline generation space that's, that marketing now is expected to do a large part of that sales job. So the, so the expectations have shifted. But going back even further, uh, salespeople don't want to speak to marketing because they simply think that marketing gives them bad leads. That's it. Bottom line, I've, you, listen, you gave me 100 leads from that campaign, and you know what? Only two were worth meeting with. So what have they done? They've wasted 98% of their time and uh, following up with bad leads, okay, market-qualified yep. leads, which aren't vetted. Um, and then they go, but hang on, what about my quota I'm supposed to make? I'm supposed to make a million dollars this month. My commission, my livelihood's tied to that. And marketing, you've messed that all up for me. You wasted 98% of my time. So in fact, you know what? I'm just going to do my own lead generation. I'm going to do my own canvassing. I'm going to do what I need to do to be successful as a salesperson. And so marketing then go, yeah, but hang on a second. Where's my ROI? I've got a budget to report to. I, I spend $10,000, $100,000 in this campaign, and you guys aren't closing. Screw you, sales. And sales go, screw you, marketing. <laughs> That's why they don't talk to each other. It's almost it's almost worth its own cartoon, isn't it? But um, so I mean, the you you I think you a lot of what you say is 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 very valid in terms of the the sort of the tech market. I, I see a lot of that, you know, where you've got you know very clearly defined and delineated um, sort of areas of responsibility. Um, but I mean, we or sort of a lot of a lot of my clients tend to work in the. Um, the, the world of marketing agencies and uh, advertising agencies, PR and all that sort of thing. And there's still a lot of debate going on um, because it's done manually about the, the qualification of leads, which was why I was interested in, in sort of uh, having this, this talk with you, because it was something that you were, um, you, you, you said you were particularly kind of passionate about. I mean, what, what are the kind of in in, in your kind of uh, in your world? What what are the golden rules to kind of vetting leads that that actually separate the the sort of the the buyers from the spires, all that sort of stuff? I mean, is there a is there a a, a rule that you apply? Um, yeah, there's no uh, there's a framework we apply. Um, we actually launched a whole training course called Pipeline Generator. Um, yeah dot com you, where we go through all of this stuff but basically i mean look i mean i think the first thing to say in any lead generation campaign is that it's actually got nothing to do with leads and everything to do with data so the moment that you understand that then you can understand okay well how do i actually close sa sales cycles get better high quality leads and better and a more uh, a more robust volume of leads and 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 so uh, it is all about 
data and data science. So like, you know, when we deploy a pipeline generation campaign, we track like over a hundred different data points in real time. So where does that all go? Well, it goes into pipeline management actually, and then a deal flow system. So the other thing, uh, just before we get into the specifics is that people seem to think that, you know, when someone fills out a lead form, it's enough. Like that's what everybody does. Like lead generation is just really easy if you do it that way. But the problem is then that sales and marketing aren't going to want to talk to one another. So how do you close that gap? Well, you have to collapse that function. So what you have to do is recognize that there's different types of leads. You have to be tracking so many different things uh, around right. to get performance now because, you know, a dollar is a, a dollar, is a dollar, right? So in a recession, it's like you're almost negative 10 when you start. So for every dollar you spend, you know you're going to be wasting money straight away. People aren't going to click, right? They're going to think your message sucks or it's not for them or it doesn't look good or it sounds familiar timing's wrong or yeah. yeah yeah the timing's wrong um you know and so or like whatever it is there's just so many reasons they just don't think it's for them it's not personable it's not memorable it's not relatable i don't understand what you mean mr technology company and then they just don't do anything so the whole purpose of putting a message in front of anybody is to get them to do something if they don't do something for with that dollar that you've spent you've lost you've lost so whether you're doing a cost per lead on platform lead generation campaign or you're running CPM thousands and Google display, whatever it is, for every dollar you spend, you better be damn sure that you're optimizing in real time. Most agencies, to your point, uh, that your listeners kind of run in and PR companies and all this stuff is that um, they don't know this either. So they just think, cool, here's 100 leads. We, by the way, did this when we first started out because we didn't know what we were doing either. Uh, so, you know, we're all guilty of this, but thankfully we, you know, we recognize that this, we were just going to lose clients and lose a business, right? right? Uh, and fail at a very simple use case uh, of lead generation, great quality lead generation, um, you know, if we don't get it right. So filling out a form sucks, right? So people come through and you don't know, they're looking for jobs, they're like, it's just the wrong decision maker. And it's just, it's just such a pre, like a, a dated way of doing lead generation. Like if you scroll down LinkedIn's timeline, I actually did this the other day. I said, I'm just going to look at all sponsored ads. And I was shocked at how many ads there were in my timeline that were sponsored one. So I'm like very aware of social advertising, ad funded businesses. LinkedIn right. is, is less like the narrative around LinkedIn still. Okay but less so Facebook and everybody else. Um, but now it's like, there's just so many of them and they're all doing the same thing. Download my white paper, check out my webinar, uh, whatever. You know, here's something, download, fill out this form and you get access. But what happens after that? So it goes to sales or it sits in a HubSpot CRM system or like what, what happens after that? And then most companies don't have the competencies. They don't, which is why we uh, built a pipeline generator anyway, is to accelerate the digital skills of companies who want leads. Um, and so they don't have these pipeline management skills. So then to your question, what do you do? What is the secret source? Well, the reality is, is that we've built a sales pre-qualification team, actually, that we then bake into our price so all they do every single uh, day is speak to end customers. And what they do is they look at the needs analysis that we pre-agree with our customers before we go, uh, go to market. And for instance, we'll say, okay, in the context of Microsoft Azure, do they have on-premise servers? Or how many physical or virtual on-premise servers do they have? Um, you know, do they have high volume applications? How many system users do they have? Uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
And then what we do is we create a, a value qualification statement which for each need, which forms part of a call script as part of a more broader sales pre-qualification process. So what we are essentially doing is we're mining the market qualified lead list. So there could be 100 there for, let's just say, 10 SQLs. On average, it's between 10 and 20% if you're good. Right. Otherwise, it's just crap. So you look for budget authority needs timelines as an example. That's one that everybody knows about. Uh, we have our own version of that. But, um, but anyway, point being is that you're looking for sales qualified leads. When are you looking to move to Microsoft Azure now, next year? They're different things. They mean different things. So how do you prioritize? Who needs to be put onto you know, a lead nurturing program? And how does that work with behavioral intelligence? You know, Because you can track everything now in digital. So how do you unlock scorecards, which are intent and, and or urgency driven, and then collectively through a program score thousands of companies, thousands of decision makers in real time no. so that they just drop out into your sales funnel. So look, there's no one size fits all solution here. We've just developed our way of doing it. And right. you know we don't get it right all of the time. We don't. It's not possible. Some cases... Because the thing is, you know, one thing we've learned as a company is that markets move. Like during the pandemic, right, we got paid by Microsoft, um, a whole bunch of cash, one of our biggest campaigns, and we were asked to drive demand for their three clouds. So modern workplace, Dynamics, and then Azure. And you would have sworn blind that at, during the pandemic, modern workplace, which is all about remote workforce management, right, setting that up. Collaboration you would have thought that tools. would have been easy. That's you, an open door. Yeah, totally, right? You would have bet blind that that was the horse that was <laughs> going to win the race, right? But you know what? Guess what won was Dynamics. Why the hell would Dynamics win over something like Modern Workplace during a pandemic? You just don't know. The, the mo like I remember when I first qualified as a scuba diver, there's a question in the test that says, how do you, when you see a shark in the water, how do you interpret a shark? <laughs> And he gives you multiple choice. I don't know what the other options were. I just remember the right answer. And the right answer was unpredictable. Human beings are, are the same as sharks. They are completely unpredictable. You never know how they're going to respond and in what way. Because their businesses are changing all the time. Their customers are changing all the time. And when you compound those things formulaically, you're an idiot if you ever say that you know who your customer is. That's when you know someone's going to come and eat your lunch. So it's probably a shark. <laughs> <laughs> but like you know but as i say it's about data science systems and people you have to understand those three things um but and that's that's the fascinating thing about our business don't you think is that you know the 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 fact that it, it can be unpredictable and the fact that you have to be able to kind of you know to, to roll with the punches sometimes and to to adapt and adjust i think that that's probably what makes what makes life so exciting for you know for for people in our you know on our side of the fence it does, it does. And, but this is why data is so important. This yeah. is why you have to track so many different things. This is why you have to have a deal, uh, deal flow system that can provide feedback in real time back to marketing. You know, oftentimes that sits in a spreadsheet on someone's computer. That's not real time. That's ridiculous. That's how you lose. So, yeah. So I mean, okay. So you, I mean, you you swim in the to use your shark analogy again. So you you swim in 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 the uh, the waters of technology and and tech tech firms. Um, I mean, what what areas of expansion are there beyond that that kind of a, that kind of sector? I mean, are there other areas that that are also suffering from the same issues or that need need that you could uh, you could address? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the it's kind of hard to leave the thing that led to your growth in the first place. Right. So, and that was, as I said, niching down, choosing a customer. It was only technology companies. And then, yes, look at the others. There's automotive, there's insurance, there's real estate, um, there's professional services. You can go anywhere with lead generation, but that's not where we built a reputation. And so every customer you choose, it's different. Like there are different players, different stakeholders. Like in the technology space, it's all vendor. There's like four players, basically. There's the vendor, the distributor, the channel, or the reseller partner, and then there's the end customer. We had to learn all of that, and, they, and you have to follow, figure out where does the money go, who gets it, and what do they need, how do they report back, what does like, proof of execution look like, what does success look like, how do you build a reputation across an ecosystem with four distinct players. So you think it's just, well, it's the vendor. No, it's not. There's three other uh, stakeholders there. So you have to specialize. So when we talk to a customer, we're sp- from the first second we're talking their language we understand their world entirely in fact not only do we know their world we know the people that they speak to because they were speaking to them as well we know how to leverage budget from channel through to distributor and vendor if somebody asks like a competitor and we've had lots of copycats so we had kung fu panda we had like weird with like ninja leads like it was like okay guys you're too late so when they phone i mean we have customers forward their proposals right these competitors to us and go look at these guys you know do you know them We're like no but they're, <laughs> they're they're sending our case studies to our customers saying it was them that's what goes on so um you know but if we didn't if we didn't specialize we'd be too generic because here's here's the truth the market's always going to try and commoditize you every single time. The, the fuel podcast, you're just another podcast. Sure. That's what the, you just, why must I listen to you? You're not special. And so they want to take the power back. They want to, they want to make you compete on price. They want to make you like race to the bottom. Well, you know, they're offering it for half price or $2,000 less. It's like, cool, piss off then. Go and work with them. Because you know what? If you want to get a return, you work with the Ferrari of lead generation, and that's, that is digital kung fu. Otherwise, go waste your money. And we've had situations where it's like, yeah, but we've only got this amount of budget. You guys are too expensive. It's like, okay, cool. Well, then go and work with them because you, know, you define yourself by what you say no to, not what you say yes to. Because what it does is if you take a lower price point on a campaign, as an example, you then set, you, you basically set that's precedent. Your new price. That's it. That's what you, that's what you cost. So it's yeah. like, cool. And so, you know, pricing is a great way to create differentiation. People, the more expensive it is, the more valuable it is. Well, it must be good if it's just five times more expensive than anything else in the market. Um, and so, funnily enough, I, this is like a running joke in the company because literally I just keep increasing prices all the time until the market can't pay and then I stop. So, Is, is price a good – I mean – there's a there's certainly in the uk there's a there's a uh, i think probably down to the uh the the culture of uh of british business but people say that uh you should never compete on price and i'm a i have to say i'm I, i'm in the uh the, the 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 camp that says i think you can compete on price i think it is one of the things that you compete with it's just one of the tools i mean do, do you do you think that 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 is something that that should be factored into it uh, no, you should compete on value you have to stack your price points. So if, if you're comparing two like cars together and they're, they're basically the same engine size, the similar color, but different brands, you're going to choose the cheaper one. 
you will because it's cheaper and more convenient we're human beings we always want to deal so you can't be an idiot and just say oh well you know we're not we're gonna just charge five times the price and hope <laughs> for the best that's how you lose uh, but you can charge five times the price if you have a better story there's many things but the, you have a better story you're africa's best tech startup you work you specialize in your in this sector because that's another thing if you've got that we've learned if you've got like for like proposals literally the same thing but the one the company b right they're the specialists they only work with technology companies the company a is gone they're never going to win they won't they can't win because the specialist always wins and so uh, that was the one thing that we learned so yeah it's this yeah but price uh, but compete on value you know it's story it's reputation yeah. it's track record it's case studies like we do we so heavy on media we spent so much money on media in one year that the South African Exchange Control uh, Board shut us down on our bank accounts. So because we we were too we put too much money offshore through Facebook and LinkedIn and all these things. <laughs> I thought so you were squirreling money. They thought away. we were like yeah. They thought we were like doing dodgy things. Anyway, so we had to un that you know to submit all this stuff and freeze the bank accounts, all this stuff. But media is very powerful. So what we've learned is like I mean Donald Trump, if you think about it. From the very beginning, brilliant oh, with media. God, I was hoping his name wasn't going to come up. But, but like, he's a master media guy. <laughs> if you want to, if you want a playbook for how to work the media, look at Donald Trump. Oh yeah, yeah, he's a master. Yeah, just throw something out there. And uh, okay, well, I mean, similarly, I'm not not um, not aligning you to, in, to to his politics in any way. But I mean, I, I did um, I downloaded your uh, the, your your ebook about the, uh, the 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 proven strategies for uh, mm. um, uh, that uh, that you had on the website. And I mean, I, I was kind of reading through it. And uh, okay, so a couple of questions out there. So. In what ways do you think the the pandemic has has kind of changed the way that that we now sell to each other? Because obviously they used to there was a very sort of established method of how the any sale was was conducted through you know through meetings and you know and uh, and exhibitions and and sort of actually generally sort of uh, being able to see more than just the head and shoulders of people. I mean, you know, so how has this all been affected? Um, and, and I mean, do you think this is going to be a long-term thing now? Yeah, I would say so. I think if anything, it's made the sales job easier. So you're more efficient. You can have 14 meetings in a day in seven hours. So half an hour slot <laughs> times by five, you know, you're cooking with gas, you know, that's 70 meetings. If you conservative, you tell me if you can't close 10% of those, that's seven deals a week, you know, 28 per month multiplied by $10,000. Tell me it's not easier. Whereas before, you would have to drive, waste time, and you would have three meetings if you were lucky, maybe four. And yeah. it was like, well, you know, and you drive there, sorry, my meeting overran, and then you have to drive back, and you didn't even have the frigging meeting. You know, now <laughs> it's like, cool, here's my calendar link, rebook. Uh, great, I'll see you at this time later. I got this cancellation. So you're far more fluid and efficient. So, I mean, the other thing to say is that you can now sell anywhere. So whereas before we were constrained by South Africa, now I can sell anywhere. I can get on, like right now, to any country, anywhere in the world, to literally any company, and I can pitch. I can sell my stuff. I'm not going to always be successful but I don't need to get on a plane. Like, I mean, when we, we we've, as I said, we had to look at the UK, so we've been engaging a customer base there. Um, and before, what would have had to happen... And how's that going, by the way? Slowly. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, every country's like a different market. You think you're a rock star here, but you don't. No one knows you over there. Uh, who have you worked with them in the UK, Matt? No, no, no. We worked with Microsoft in uh, the Middle East. Well, we're Microsoft in the UK. Where's your UK case study? Uh, we don't have one. Okay, well, there's this other company who does. But anyway, um, my point being is that it's difficult everywhere you go. Uh, but before in the UK, right. I would have had to get on the plane and I would have to spend a month there or two weeks there. I would have had to go and shake hands, meet people face to face in order to sell. But now I don't have to. Again, same principle. Do like a grand yeah, tour thing. Yeah, a grand tour all virtually. It's beautiful. So the pandemic in many cases is very bad for many companies, especially in retail and eventing as an example. But in many cases, it's great. It set us up for the, for the future of business. You know, uh, changing your office space to collaboration spaces, uh, being okay with the distributed team. If somebody wants to work from home, you know, prior to the pandemic, I'd be like, I'm sorry, what are you doing? Why do you want to work at home? What are you doing? I can't trust you. <laughs> uh, like, I don't have the tools to see what you're doing, but now I can, you know? So it's like, cool, you want to work from home? Great. Go spend time with your kids. It's fine. You know, um, and so in many cases, yeah. I think, you know, as I said, there's a new paradigm here. And so, but you're saying about sales and leads and so forth. Now you can sell anyone, anywhere, all the time. And that's what's exciting about it. Right. Yeah. And I mean, listening to you, Matt, it, it seems that, I mean, obviously you guys are, are very kind of on top of the um, sort of the way that the business is handled once it comes into a company and stuff. I mean, are there any kind of special sort of types of software without obviously giving away you know, sort of uh, the 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 uh, the special the special stuff. I mean, what types of software can companies use to to sort of to track and react to campaigns? I mean, you know, we see as we see a lot about using things like Teams or whatever to, you know, or Salesforce. I mean, are there any other sort of good little sort of tips you might want to pass along? Um, well, there's so many options. There's literally so many. Uh, Zoho is great. HubSpot's great. Salesforce is great, but expensive. Um, you know, but, you know, software yeah. is only a means to an end, right? So, I mean, we've had, uh, we've got our own software, Tech Lead Bay, which we're launching in January. Uh, we're, again, focusing on the SaaS space, uh, which is super exciting. Okay. That's, it's super, super cool um, because there is nothing that can do it, which is really great because <laughs> we looked at, um, you know, Zoho and Salesforce and all the, and we had customers, by the way, that have these and Microsoft Dynamics even, and they 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 just systems, and so we've like one of our big biggest customers literally terminated their HubSpot license because they don't get value out of it. So they're dropping thirty thousand dollars a year on it, right? Which is okay; it's not exp not overly expensive. But where's the return? How does a how does a software get me the return? You still need people. You still need to integrate that software into your own business processes. Then they, you've got to train up your staff. You've got to integrate it. This is the, the beautiful thing with um, SaaS is that, you know, they're all trying to enable a layer operating model. So land, adopt, expand, and renew. So the more complex it is to integrate, the harder it is to switch. So if you have, um, like as in a case in point, if you have a million customers paying subscribe subscriptions, even if you are the vendor, if you update from version one to version 1.1, .1, the, your existing customers won't move. They will only move when you get to version three, 
like literally the large majority of them. You always get the early adopters, of course, but the large majority will not move until it's absolutely necessary to move because of unquantifiable switching costs. It's not about the price. It's like, well, how does this upgrade now affect everything else in this business? You know, so it's like, well, I've got to train these people. I've got to change this process. I've got to hire a new person because there's now something called predictive analytics. What does that mean? Well, I don't know. We need a data analyst or a business analyst to come and play with with this new software that we've got. It's not even ours. By the way, can we customize it? Yeah, we can. It costs a million dollars. Oh, my gosh, it's another. We don't have that kind of money. So it's never quite fit for purpose either, you see. So it's like it, it's all great and say, okay, no, there's this, this, this system can do it, but they all have downsides, every single one of them. Fantastic. Well, I mean, it, getting back into the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the world of advertising and, uh, and the agency world, we, a, lot of, a lot of our clients sort of use credentials decks and uh, there's, a, again, another big debate about, you know, using – past case histories to uh, to sell to future clients and things mm-hmm. and you know there's uh, on the other side of that argument there's the idea well you know that you might as well take something that's relevant because not no no one case study is going to be relevant to another client i mean do you agree that that kind of data can give you that ability to to be able to 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 be empathetic with clients to be able to sort of say well you know we 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 understand your your industry. We understand, so you don't have to rely on case studies. What you're doing is basically bringing a situation where you create a, a whole picture around the client and say, well, the, we we this is your situation as we see it. Yeah. So there's a few things there. There's a difference between product selling and solution selling. Product selling is putting a, a software into a business. The solution sells to say, okay, you're going to get the product and you're going to get access to pipeline generator. So like a case in point, here's your tech lead bay license for 10 sales and marketing professionals um, for a SaaS company. And uh, you know, here's pipeline generator for free because you're going to need it. You need to upskill your team. And by the way, I'm also going to get this great guy. His name's Keith Smith. He's from the fuel podcast. It's our PR media arm. Uh, And so what we're going to do is we're going to profile your best people. And then what we're going to do is we're going to bring one of our competitors in actually, right? So they do AI and RPA automation for those automated tasks of yours. And then we're also going to get a financial modeling uh, analyst and we're going to bring him to you at cost. So that is solution selling. It's about uh, bringing in the right team and people and partners to solve this problem because then your price point goes from a license fee of $100 a month to like $100,000 a month. But the value yeah. is a million. So that's the difference between um, you know, product and solution selling. So that's one of the big things. And then the other thing to say is that when you talk about case studies, like we use case studies all the time. And the only reason why we do case studies is to provide proof that we've solved the problem for new customers. That's it. Can you solve my problem? Can you increase my revenue, reduce my risk, um, or um, ensure that I'm compliant, as an example, you know, uh, or can you save me money? God, can you save me money in a recession? Yes, I can. Great. I'm in. Let's talk. Um, and so when you know that it's about specific buttons to push and how you package your proposition, you have to tell your story. This is the other thing that people, or say people, businesses don't do is that they don't tell their story they don't speak about their successes it's just like well we we shut the lights out um and uh, you know we don't say anything about it because we're tackling the next problem and so it doesn't become a story that gets told especially in technology so um so you and the other thing is that you tell your story better than your competition you'll win 
you convince the market that you know the you just understand the problem better than your competition, you'll win. Um, so you have to have evidence and proof. It's like no proof, no launch. Yeah, well, that does make sense. Um, <clears throat> but I think that uh, you know the, uh, the the interesting thing that you bring up there is the fact that we we we, we had a podcast recently with a uh, company called Predictive Black, who are uh, a UK uh, fintech uh, business. And uh, they were talking sort of uh, quite uh, quite passionately about the use of using financial predictive uh, uh, sort of artificial intelligence to to create financial models for for winning pitches for for actually going into companies. So you're able to to show the finance the financial health of any given market at any one stage, and then to be able to paint a picture and create a picture around that, which I think was a very interesting. Um, sort of way of doing it rather than relying on the old way of well here's a few case studies and here's our understanding of the market because I think what what you're driving at and I think what, what's going to become more more and more necessary now is things aren't going to be the same from from month to month things are going to keep changing so it's very important to stay on top and to have you know the the sort of the latest information and to be able to adapt and pivot and you know and to change your your sort of strategy around that it's um it's quite an interesting way of doing things from from my perspective yeah it's a great point i mean we've we created in tech lead bear we're, we're creating a category called hive intelligence so it's like a beehive right that, uh, to because you have to ex- use analogies to explain things that are complicated you have to it's the ferrari of legion okay i get it you don't have to explain how it all works <laughs> It's like harpooning for the whale. Okay, I get it. Um, you know, and so use analogies. And so, you know, we, so hive intelligence is like a beehive, right? So you've got these bees and they go out to the market, they fetch a whole bunch of data points, they come back to the hive to make honey. And that's it. That's the way to think about it. Um, and so we work with, uh, hive intelligence is made up of four types of analytics, descriptive, predictive, prescriptive, and geospatial to then create opportunity so what is the market opportunity for a particular business um, how much have they sold to to who to where and why what is likely to happen in the future based on historical data how do you then bolt on recommended actions for specific you know countries or company sizes or particular solutions and how does that all visually display because data in a tab in a tab tabular format sucks so people yes. are visual. You're visual. I'm visual. I like to see stuff. We like watching movies. Imagine if we just watched movies forever. If it was, there was no visual, it would suck. Or just so, just read the subtitles. Yeah, exactly. Or the captions. You know, <laughs> so like, but but you know, we want to see the visual representation of the data. So have a visual layer that can help bring that all across. Um, but uh, you know, the great thing about his, his you know historical data is that it's a great predictor of future success. So we're able to predict the future for pipelines based on certain budgets. So we'll tell you, you know, in Kenya or Mauritius or in the United Arab Emirates, Dubai, what it costs to acquire a lead for Modern Workplace for Microsoft. And you'll know that from the first day. So we don't charge for that. It's like, here you go. We've done it before. This is, what it, this is how much it costs. Here was, here was the performance. The fascinating thing about data, right, is that you can see what's going on everywhere. Eh? It's nuts. Like we can see what's going on on Facebook, on LinkedIn, 
we can see how th- we call it cost per lead variances across different countries, different platforms, different company sizes, even different industries. You think you're just buying that dollar that I mentioned. It's the same everywhere. The economic buying power of a dollar is not the same. You're an idiot right. if you think it's the same. So for what we do is we help customers understand, well, where is the economic opportunity actually? So you may think, well, you like the UK, but what about, you know, well, UK is a big place. What about Scotland, Wales versus Ireland or England? You know, what, where is your actual return going to be? Where is the underserved customer? You know, and so if you understand that there's economics that underpin all these platforms, so economic supply and demand drives price. If there's a under, if there's an oversupply and, and um, you know, not that much demand, right? It's relatively cheap, and vice versa. So you have to know that a dollar spent in every different country is not the same. It's not the same, um, and so the d- different decision makers' cost goes up. C-suite versus you know a departmental manager, not the same. So uh, once you understand that, you can start to plan better. You can start to predict the future. You can start to basically create a, a proposition in the market that nobody can match because wow. the longer you work with data, the more competitive you get. It's like the more data we get, the more valuable we get. You know, But having said that, you're still not in control of your commercial destiny because you're relying on a customer to tell you what you're worth, and that sucks. Okay. Well, look. I mean, you you uh, talking about uh, sort of working with overseas companies. I mean, getting back to what we were talking about before about digital kung fu hitting the uh, the the UK market. Where uh, where's the UK market? Is it getting it wrong? And and if so, where? Well, I think there's different. No, I wouldn't say so at all. You know, a bigger market doesn't mean bigger opportunity. So I'm moving to America um, next year sometime. Um, and you know, whereabouts? Uh, Austin, Texas, or Austin, ah. apparently. You're going to be you're going to be joining Joe Rogan then. Pretty much, you're on Tim Ferriss. You know, <laughs> going, going on his show, apparently. But anyway, uh, but no. But seriously, though, I mean, yeah, I mean, America's great, right? It's a big, big market, but with big, big markets come much bigger competition or competitors and bigger risks and bigger risks. So you know, there's no certainty in business, none whatsoever. So the UK is getting a lot of things right. But, you know, you really need to understand who your customer is. That's the thing. Because if you think your customer in South Africa is the same as it is in the UK, you're not going to win. You're, too, you're, you're relying too much on your own assumptions and you're drinking your own Kool-Aid way too much. Way too much. Uh, because, you know, like a Microsoft in Africa is not the same as Microsoft in the UK. It's no. not. It's absolutely not. So you cannot go, well, we've got, look at all this amazing returns, 30 to 1 for Microsoft. Look at all these case studies. You've got over a dozen of them. You can send them to Microsoft in the UK to death. It doesn't mean they're going to buy. So you have to figure out well, where is the gap? Where do you really feel that the commercial opportunity is? And actually, probably most importantly as the owner or the founder is to figure out, well, is this new customer something or someone or a problem that I can get passionate about? Um, and do it and be passionate about for at least three years, at least, um, so while you it, find your feet. Okay. All right. Well, look, thank you very much, Matt. Uh, I mean, what's, what's, what's coming up in the future now? I mean, obviously you, you mentioned a, a move. I mean, sort of, so, so what's sort of happening in the next sort of two or three months and uh, how can uh, anybody out there in agency land get a hold of you? Cause I'm sure they would want to. Okay. Um, yeah, well, you can go to digitalkungfu.com. You can get me on Twitter at Um or 
Yeah, just Google the Matt Brown Show dot com. Yeah, we have a- and it's it's well worth a listen and a watch. I I, I definitely uh, recommend it. And uh, and uh, I I can't let you go with just for a, a bit of lighthearted entertainment here without um, without getting you to uh, contribute towards our uh, uh, our mixtape that we always put together at the end of uh, the the end of the show, um, which is uh, Anita, a need an isolate uh, isolation island disc, which is a track that you take with you on a desert island, mm-hmm. uh, and a book, which I think you already mentioned actually. You just gave me that. Uh, play bigger book which uh probably uh probably sounds like a, a, a bit of a winner so so give us a track matt track that you like uh, nothing else matters by metallica especially if you're oh. trapped on an island come on there's nothing else <laughs> that's uh that's great that's the first that's the first um sort of real real good heavy metal track we've had as well so uh so that's a nice one i like like that one and the the book you're going to go with the book recommend recommendation or you're going to have some fun. Oh, gosh. Probably zero to one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> zero to one. Okay. Great, Matt. Thank you very much indeed. Well, that's it. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time. You've been, uh, you've been a great guest and uh, really super informative. And uh, I, I, um, I hope that, um, as I say, we, 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 we hadn't met before, uh, before this show, but uh, I hope we can stay in touch. Um, because, uh, and, and certainly if you're coming over this way, if you're moving to Austin, Austin, Texas, then, uh, it'd be great to, uh, to, to maybe tie up when, uh, when, when the pandemic lifts and we can all travel again. Yeah, and, absolutely. uh, I sincerely wish you all the best with that and, and wish you all the best with, um, you know, with your, your sort of, uh, entry into the UK market mm-hmm. and, uh, with all, all your other ventures. And certainly I'm going to tune into the Matt Brown show from now on. That's definitely on my subscription list and, uh, and thank you very much. So I hope we'll see you again soon. Thank you, Keith. Appreciate your time. It's been great. All right, Matt. Take care. Ciao. Thanks for listening to the Matt Brown Show, guys. Don't forget, you can catch me on all social media platforms for the latest updates, news, and a show history. So if you've been catching this on the podcast, please head on over to our YouTube channel and pound that subscribe button. It would be great to catch the video version there. And if you want a free copy of my number one Amazon best-selling book, you're in a game for free right now today. You can grab that on mattbrownshow.com forward slash ebook. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients haiku went from a two percent share of voice globally to an 11 percent share of voice globally in only seven days if you'd like more information head on over to showworksmedia.com for more that is showworks with an x.com